Welcome back. This is The Lottery on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. Been off the last couple weeks. Not too much going on from a scouting standpoint, from an NBA draft standpoint. However, the World Cup is going on. And yes, I happened to catch USA, France earlier this morning. This is Wednesday. And uh, I mean, it's always a surprise when USA loses an international FIBA competition. And this was still surprising. You know, if I had to place a bet money line who was going to win the game today, I would have taken USA. At the same time, it's not too shocking to see France take down USA. I certainly have some takeaways uh, from today's game and just about the World Cup in general uh, and USA and, and where they go from here. But I think it was pretty clear in USA, France this morning. The best player on the floor, the best player between both teams didn't play for USA. I mean, Rudy Gobert was the best guy on the floor. And uh, he impacted the game so heavily. It almost reminds, you know, we talk about small ball and how the game is changing and how, you know, some of the bigger guys are being pushed out. They're not going to get pushed out if they're as good as Rudy, Rudy Gobert. You know, it's like I always say, like if Shaq played in today's NBA, he'd still be dominant. You know, you wouldn't sit Shaq in the fourth quarter. And, and Rudy Gobert, I mean, what he showed today is why teams will continue to draft rim protectors even if they're kind of being phased out of the game. I mean, they, Orlando took Mohamed Bamba, number six overall, and it didn't seem like a bad pick at the time because, uh, you know, they obviously had a guy like Rudy Gobert in mind when they took Bamba, who has that same seven eight seven nine wingspan and how impactful that could be defensively around the basket, and also offensively. I mean, Gobert finished 21 points against USA. I mean, that brings up another point, that USA went small, uh, mainly because Miles Turner was pretty much ineffective, and they chose not to play uh, Mason Plumley. I mean, what's he on the roster for? I mean, the only reason to have a guy like Mason Plumley on the roster is to match up with somebody like Gobert, and, and Popovich didn't play him. So I guess you got to question that move. Why waste the roster spot on Plumlee if you're not going to use him to battle interior-oriented bigs like Gobert? But anyway, Gobert, I mean, the highlight, I think, of of the day for Gobert was probably was the fourth quarter. He's matched up, switched on to Donovan Mitchell, ISO, and Mitchell, who's so shifty and explosive off the dribble, couldn't get by Gobert. Gobert stuck with him in space and blocked a shot at the basket. I mean, this is a 7-2 guy who can move his feet away from the basket and obviously protect the rim at the highest possible level. It forces a lot of pull-up jumpers, a lot of low-percentage shots from USA's guards. And again, that brings up another point in terms of roster construction. Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell, as good as those guys are at putting the ball in the basket, their shot selection together is awfully low percentage. A lot of step-backs, pull-ups. You know, they rely on such tough shot-making and that, that works, you know, in the long run. But eventually, you're going to hit a good defense. And a long defense like France, who had Frank Nielakina, who we're going to get to in a little bit, Batum and Gobert. I mean, that, they have a lot of length for that, for that defense. And it wasn't a great matchup for USA's guards. And just looking on paper, uh, they didn't, USA doesn't really have that facilitator. I mean, Walker is, is more of a scorer. I mean, he handles the ball, and he's a point guard, and he'll get you six assists a game in the NBA. But he's a scorer who happens to handle the ball. It's the same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Um, and, and Kemba Walker didn't look too great today. Uh, I wouldn't get too carried away if I'm the Celtics fans. 
I mean, they're probably like, holy shit, that was not a good look from our new point guard who's going to replace Kyrie Irving. Um, and he didn't play well. He missed, his, he missed his shots. He missed his opportunities. But that is not a great fit with Donovan Mitchell, who also needs the ball in his hands. Uh, and that, you know, takes some rhythm away from Walker, who's so used to dancing around and, and you know, letting the, letting the touches and the usage, high usage, build his confidence a little bit. He couldn't get into a rhythm today. And so, again, that, yeah, that, that, that brings up the point of roster construction. And uh, we, we saw so many guys drop out. Um, so it's tough to put too much uh, blame uh, on the head guys at USA who put the team together. But, yeah, it, it was just a, a bad recipe against a tough France team. And, again, go back to, going back to Gobert, not only is he uh, so obviously long and, and mobile and now tough around the basket, I mean, he is he, he's strong. I mean, I remember pre-draft – we're like, well, he's kind of thin. He, he doesn't move that great. The scouting report has changed. He is a beast down there, really tough, plays through contact, and he moves his feet pretty well. I mean, he can cover a lot of ground out there. Like I said before, he stayed with Donovan Mitchell in space and isolation, and not only stayed with him, but blocked his shot. And so Gobert was the obvious MVP, and it's just a reminder of, you know, that Utah team is good, mostly because of Gobert, not Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, Mitchell elevates the team's roster elevates uh, the team's ceiling. But Gobert is the MVP of that team, and, man, he just completely uh, put USA in his fist and, and, and closed it today. He was, uh, he was the man in that matchup. Uh, before we even get to more USA, guys, I think we have to talk about Frank Nilekina. Now, just I go back with Nilekina so far. Right, the, the first time I saw him live, Basketball Without Borders, I, uh, he was 16 or 17 years old. This was in Toronto. And he was the standout guy for me. I wrote the, uh, an article on him um, my first time seeing him when he was uh, a first-year pro in France. Uh, and then the next year, he became draft eligible. Um, and that was the year that, that he used to get to convince the Knicks to take him uh, eighth overall in front of Dennis Smith Jr. And, and I'll admit, I, at the time, I said that was the right pick for the Knicks. Uh, they were moving away from Mello. Dennis Smith Jr. was at the time, you know, more of a mellow type guard. And Frank was uh, the unselfish passer, uh, the defender, a guy who plays better team basketball. Through two years, it hasn't translated to effectiveness or production. He's been inefficient. Uh, he hasn't scored a lot. Uh, the biggest concern, I think, with Frank has always been the inability to beat guys off the dribble. Well, today against USA, Frank Nilekina, uh he certainly improved his trade value. And again, I don't know if he's going to be a long-term player in New York just based on how many guards they have and the fact that he hasn't really excelled with crappy guys around him. We saw that he could be effective on a good team like France. And maybe NBA playoff teams took notice today and said, you know what, we could actually buy low on Frank in the trade and get a good 3 and D guy who actually today had a couple of nice driving layups. That's something we really didn't see much in New York, he really struggled to finish at the rim, and, and uh, even worse, he really couldn't get there because he lacks that blow by burst. But he looked awfully confident today, more confident than I've ever seen him. And again, I think I've pretty much seen every Frank Nilekina field goal attempt over like the last three years, again, dating back to his final year in France. And today, um, yeah, he, he just he operated more face up. A lot of times you see Frank, and he's dribbling, shielding uh, the ball from his man using his back, you know, because he doesn't have that confidence in his handle to, to maneuver quickly. But he was looking guys right in the eye and, and handling the ball and uh, had a couple of those nice scoop layups using his size and his length to finish over guys like Kemba Walker, who, who couldn't really match up 
And again, Frank defensively caused so many problems, getting through screens, uh, contesting shots. Uh, Kemba Walker couldn't do much against him. And so, uh, again, I think he really revitalized, uh, revived, I should say, revived his, his value uh, in one game. He's been pretty good up until, up until today, but obviously most eyes were on this France-USA game. And uh, a big game for Frank Nilekino, who hit those two big threes late in the game. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen him hit that second one. It was like a step back, pull up off the dribble shot. He never takes those, uh, and he nailed it. And you could just tell his confidence was pumping. He's more of a quiet, reserved guy, but he was screaming. He was really pumped up um, about, obviously, France, but I think about his play because uh, he's taken a lot of criticism since being drafted by the Knicks. And I think New York fans, honestly, being a guy who lives in New York, and maybe uh, you guys are wondering why I'm talking so much about Frank, but maybe it's because I hear so much noise about him living in New York, but uh, people are really divided on him. You know, the question is whether you whether he's going to be more valuable to another team who's actually good um, as opposed to the Knicks where, you know, he's got to create a lot on his own and he's not really a creator. I mean, I think at this point it's fair to say he's not a creator, but he could still be effective, uh, you know, spot-up shooting, making the right reads as a passer and picking rolls, which I think he does pretty well. And obviously his main value will be defending the perimeter, switching, getting through uh, those ball screens. And so we'll see where he goes from here. This was obviously a huge step in the right direction for his confidence. In New York, he's looking at Alfred Payton and Dennis Smith Jr. ahead of him. Uh, Alonzo Trier may have uh, leapfrogged him in terms of the Knicks' priority chart. So I don't know where his career goes from here. I still think he ends up on another team, probably at the trade deadline, just because there's not much room for him, unless he really impresses early on and he makes somebody else in the Knicks expendable. But... Uh, with what the Knicks did this offseason in terms of acquiring all these veterans and now having so many young players, it's tough to see Frank getting too much of an opportunity to really showcase any improvement. And I'd imagine that he moves on to another team and suddenly we get to see a Frank Nilekina that we haven't seen before and one that we saw today in France's big win over USA. Moving back to USA, again, the guys that struggled, we mentioned Kemba Walker, uh, who, you know, Needs more pace. Needs a little more pace and space for his particular style. Uh, Chris Middleton struggled 2 of 7 today. And I think it's also another reminder how playing on these all-star type teams, going from playing, you know, being the number two option in Milwaukee, like Middleton, to being, you know, just a a, a backup, not a backup, but like a secondary option um, on, on a pretty loaded team uh, with Donovan Mitchell and... and Jalen Brown and Tatum didn't play today and Miles, you know, this is a, I know they didn't win today, but looking at this team, if this was an NBA team, it would be, you know, a pretty damn good team. And you see what happens with a guy like Middleton who only gets seven shots. Uh, they, they come sporadically throughout a game. It really is tough for a guy like that uh, who is very perimeter oriented to, to build confidence and rhythm into a game when, you know, you get one shot every five minutes or so. Um, and uh, and your minutes are, are, are so different than that, what they were in Milwaukee. So it's easy to understand why guys can, can not have big games, even though they're all-star level players like Middleton in the NBA, and then they show out in the 2 of 7, you know, in this big game against France. Uh, Mitchell was awesome. I mean, Mitchell was really good today. Uh, he kept USA alive, uh, not just with his shot making, but I loved how he mixed up a little more attacking, getting to the basket. Sometimes he, he loves the hero jumpers so much he falls in love with them, and, and there's such a low percent of shots, he's very good at making them. 
But uh, it, it was good to see today him and mix up those hesitations and, and get downhill and drive and finish with the left hand as opposed to just settling for those stop and pop jumpers and, and those hero step backs uh, that he loved so much. And, and those are the shots really why people weren't so in love with him in college. I mean, I, he, on my board, he was exactly where he went in the draft, number 13 overall. But why so many of us missed on him coming out of college at Louisville uh, is because he is an undersized shooting guard who just loves those low percentage, long twos, pull up threes. And uh, I guess we didn't think he'd make as many as he, as he has been, both in the NBA and both in the game like this. But for Mitchell to take that next step to all-star level, uh, he's got to mix in attacking a little bit more. He's got to get to the free throw line a little bit more. So I, I thought today was a really good display uh, of the best type of Mitchell um, that you can ask for. Quick break to shout out Blue Wire's new partner, Indochino. Every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on his suit. There's one problem. Guys keep buying generic off-the-rack suits. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally. Or measure at home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, the lottery listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code Blue Wire for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. I promise this is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Also, big week coming up. Week 2, NFL. If you found $100 in the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Come on, of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. So back to USA France. I think we have to, I can't leave this game without talking about the leading scorer from France, Evan Fournier who is, I'd say he's one of the more underrated players in the league. I'd like to see Fournier play in a different team. Although Orlando could use him. It's not like he doesn't fit there. But for whatever reason, you feel like his production would be a little more impactful if he was on another team. But uh, he really hurt USA today with his shot making. And, I mean, he's a six-seven-two guard. He really uses his body well, uh, can shoot off lots of different movement, um, off different types of dribbles, pull-ups, uh, fallaways. He, because he's six seven, he creates a lot of separation. He could shoot right over his man, and uh, he really sunk USA today with some some pretty tough shots um, that that really hurt. Punches in the gut uh, from Fournier, and and uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Fournier that he plays better during these FIBA tournaments uh, when he's wearing France across his chest as opposed to Orlando when he's kind of up and down. The shot selection is a little bit ah. Eh. Um, 
not a huge playmaker, uh, although I don't think that's where his value lies. His value lies in his ability to put the ball in the bucket, and uh, he did it today, and, and I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the way um, as France looks to advance uh, because he's one of the, it's tough to peg Fournier's value. You know, what would another team give up for him uh, on the trade market? Do, do they value him like, you know, I'm curious to see what his next contract is going to be. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich who averaged, what, 18 a game last year for Indiana. He just signed a $73 million deal uh, with Utah. I'm curious what, what Fournier ends up making in his next contract or if he ends up sticking with Orlando. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if, like, a really good team, you know, makes a, makes a call to Orlando and tries to pry Fournier away. Tough score. Um, and and uh, just a, a pesky guy, one of those guys you probably hate playing against. So, yeah, if Gobert was the MVP of the game, Fournier was... MVP B for that France team. I'm just looking back now at this USA, at the box score. You know, one of the things that stand out, Harrison Barnes played 32 minutes. I mean, I barely noticed him on the floor. I mean, he had to play center, which is just silly. I, mean, I would love to hear the interview afterwards about why Popovich really refused to play uh, Plumley. Or, I mean, listen, Brooke Lopez played four minutes. Um, he's a big guy. I mean, whether he's effective, at least try. Uh, Miles Turner was not very effective, um, but still, to to put Harrison Barnes out there uh, playing the five spot for 32 minutes, he finished with four points. I mean, um, and, and a minus 13. That's just that's just not good enough. And I don't know if I'm going to blame Barnes, uh, who is an interesting story to begin with in terms of his value. I mean, he keeps getting paid, uh, and uh, I, don't know, I guess teams value not just his his play, but he's a, a really high character guy. Everybody always has such great things to say about him off the floor. I forget who said it there. Some of the guys he, he grew up with during his draft class said this is the type of guy who could become president of the United States. He's just um, a smooth talker, really articulate and intelligent. And I guess somebody good to have around in the locker room um, full of a lot of big-time scores. So he had to play out of position a little bit. I'm not going to knock Barnes. But 32 minutes, I mean, I think if you're Popovich, you gotta, you got to try something else. Um, Gobert was just too too overwhelming. Uh, so that's something that, that pops to me. Uh, I thought Marcus Smart played very well. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Marcus Smart fan. I think he, he contributes to winning. He can be frustrating at times, but he is that elite high-end role player uh, that winning teams need. Um, I love the comparison that he's kind of the guard version of Draymond Green. And obviously some differences in their skill sets. But... Um, they're asked to do, to bring the same type of energy, the same type of toughness, the same type of versatility at both ends, uh, where honestly it doesn't matter what the stat sheet says. Uh, it, could, it could say very little on the stat sheet, and he could still have a, a monster impact on the game. So uh, I, I thought it was, I thought, you know, when they brought Smart back, I thought that was a, a great thing for Boston. That he, they're going to need him. Uh, particularly with the roster turnover and, and adding Kemba and, and Ennis Cantor and, and now Horford at the door. I think Smart's value for that particular Celtics team uh, goes up even more. Looking ahead, I think there'll be just as much attention paid to the USA-Serbia game as there will be to France-Argentina. Uh, obviously, a lot of NBA talent in that um, USA-Serbia matchup, um, even though it's in the loser's bracket, which is still kind of weird, but... Um, anyway, yeah, of course, it's going to be really exciting to see Jokic um, and to see uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic and to see uh, Bielitsa 
uh, go up against uh, USA's front court. I think Jokic is is the obvious uh, must watch player in this game, and and honestly, one of the most exciting centers I, I can ever remember watching. Um, just you know, going from using my eyes and my point of view as somebody uh, who scouted him coming into the NBA. Uh, he was uh, again. He was exactly where I had him at number forty-one on my board, and that's where he went in the draft. Uh, it, it was a real. His whole evolution has been pretty surprising, honestly. Uh, just a, you know, lacking the athleticism and having that particular body, and uh, it's just really translated to such um, such an interesting style of play and such a unique brand of of offense. I know defensively, a lot of question marks, but he is so effective offensively. Um, with his footwork and his passing and his basketball IQ and just his general skill level. It's just so much fun to watch. Uh, I can't wait to watch him go up um, against the USA team. I wonder if Harrison Barnes is going to guard Jokic. I mean, I wonder if Popovich does anything different to combat the other team's opposing biggest guy. And again, just a reminder, if your best player is really big, you don't have to play small. You know, big guys can still be effective uh, in basketball. And so, yeah, again, we'll see what, what USA does to match up. Um, and I can't wait. To, I'm also a big fan of Bogdanovich. I mean, that guy is just, he plays with a, a chip, and he is super competitive. Um, went for 21 points that last game against Argentina. Fialitza, uh, another guy, had 18 points in that game. Guys who were just not afraid to fire away, and uh, they're going to be playing clearly with, with nothing to lose um, in, in this loser's bracket against the USA team, which is clearly beatable. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting also to see how USA comes out. Are they going to care too much? Are they going to play with, you know, tons of energy? Or, or is, is the tournament done for them? And this is it. Are they going to pack it in? So um, I think there's something left for USA to prove by beating this Serbia team and vice versa. I think Serbia has plenty of incentive to come out and, and play a, a tough game against the U.S. So still basketball worth watching um, from the American standpoint, but but also from a global standpoint, not just um, on the winner's side, but on the loser's side as well. Before we cut this podcast relatively short again, because there's just so not a ton of content, not a ton of game action to go over, not you know much to talk about in the scouting world, uh, I wrote an article recently uh, predicting how some of the recent lottery picks who changed teams, how how they're going to uh, turn out in this new chapter. Because we saw that this offseason, a lot of storylines with big names changing teams, particularly a lot of recent lottery picks. You know, you don't usually see that. Um, so many guys who were top five picks, top ten picks, are already moving on to new teams. Um, starting with Lonzo Ball, uh, who's already going to be entering his third year. Lakers, I mean, I wouldn't say they gave up on him because it, it was an obvious trade they had to make to get Anthony Davis. But... Uh, Lonzo has something to prove now, um, along with Brandon Ingram, two, another number two pick already on a new team uh, based on the Anthony Davis trade. Of course, not blaming them, but still, uh, it's just rare to see guys picked that high get traded this early in their careers. So I had to make some predictions on, uh, on what I think will happen with some of these high draft picks who change teams, whether it was through trades or free agency. And Lonzo Ball, really fast. I think he... He's going to revive his stock, but as a high-end role player, I don't think suddenly he's going to revive that that star potential that the Lakers saw clearly when they took him second overall in the draft. I don't know if we're ever going to see Lonzo Ball the All-Star, 
I do think he's going to become a very valuable NBA player, particularly to this New Orleans Pelicans team that's built around now Zion and Drew Holiday. I think the Pelicans are still going to value Lonzo's passing, his basketball IQ, his defensive anticipation, and eventually I do expect his shot making to come around. I don't think he's going to be a crappy three-point shooter forever. Uh, But I do question and do doubt, actually, that Lonzo Ball will ever be uh, the all-star that everybody expected him to or most, I would say, expected him to be at UCLA. So uh, I think Lonzo Ball, again, this next chapter, we see a very high-end role player, but not an all-star anytime soon or maybe ever. Uh, Brandon Ingram, I think we're going to see the same type of Ingram that we saw, like a third, second-type option who can score from all three levels but doesn't give you consistent shooting, doesn't give you consistent decision-making as a playmaker. Uh, A little bit frustrating at times, but his talent is always going to pop every time he takes the floor. And so I see a guy who, again, averages in that 16 to 18 point range, uh, but doesn't really take that next step into star status. Uh, I compared him to a Tayshaun Prince coming out of college was the comparison I used. Um, and maybe he's got a higher floor, higher ceiling in terms of scoring. But again, I see him as another high-end role player as opposed to a star. I think that continues in New Orleans. Willie Cauley-Stein, number six pick in his draft, uh, now with Golden State, I think suddenly he becomes more appreciated with the Warriors. Nothing about his game is going to change. We're not suddenly going to see a skilled player. And actually, his production might drop off. But uh, I think playing to his strengths in Golden State, he's going to get a lot more easy baskets on a team that I think is going to win games, even though Clay is out and Durant is gone. I still think uh, with D'Angelo Russell, who I'll get into in a second, I still think that team is going to win games in the West. And Cole Stein is going to get a lot of easy baskets. Finished six in the NBA last year in dunks. I think he can match those numbers starting as the center at Golden State, just running the floor, diving to the hoop, catching lobs, and he'll get you some block shots as well. So I think he, um, people start to appreciate Colley Stein a little bit more now that he's on um, a better, more experienced veteran team where he can play to his strengths. Um, and D'Angelo Russell, I, there's a lot of doubt. I'm hearing a lot of doubt from people that Russell is kind of a guy who, who Golden State acquired in the sign and trade. They were just got him to get an asset, and maybe they'll move him eventually once Clay comes back. I think DeAndre Russell is going to be a big part of this Warriors team uh, right away. I think he gives them another source of offense, and I think he's versatile enough to play off Stephen Curry uh, with his passing, his playmaking, and his shooting. Um, I think he'll find a way to adjust. Another guy who just plays with the chip, and and he's got a lot to prove. Uh, The Lakers gave him away to Brooklyn. He had a lot to prove, and he proved it in Brooklyn. Brooklyn gives him away after leading them leading the Nets to to the playoffs. Uh, And he's got now a a lot more to prove in Golden State. I think he adjusts his game a little bit. 90% um, of his possessions over his first three years were a point guard. Uh, That won't be the case, clearly, with Steph um, sharing the ball. But again, I think he's a good enough shooter. I think he's motivated enough uh, to find a way to make it work. And Golden State's going to need his offense um, in that backcourt with Clay Thompson out. Jay Gildas-Alexander. I mean, uh, when that trade went down and those moves went down with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers, from my perspective, the biggest shock was Gilgis Alexander getting moved. So much promise uh, with him in L.A. Now he moves to Oklahoma City uh, where he's going to share the court with Chris Paul. My guess is that Paul doesn't make it through the whole season there. I don't think Oklahoma City has enough firepower to keep up in the West. I think eventually the Thunder are going to find a way to either deal Chris Paul or use some type of load management excuse and prioritize Gilgis Alexander, who is clearly the future, the best prospect on that Thunder team. And my guess is he takes over at point guard by the end of the year um, and really shows 
his worth uh, as really uh, just a crafty overall player. I don't know how high his ceiling goes uh, because he's not a high-level scorer, but he is just a, he checks a lot of boxes for a point guard with his passing, um, his change of pace scoring. His, he, he doesn't take a lot of threes, but he makes the ones he takes, and I think he's got the chance to be a very effective guard defender. So uh, a good move from Oklahoma City, I guess, when your hand was forced by Paul George uh, with the trade request. Good move to get um, a prospect like Gildas, Gildas Alexander. Um, who else we got? Josh Jackson, the number four pick, a guy I will, I was wrong about. I admit it. I, I had him um, high on my board. I think I had him number three overall on my board. And, uh, wow, he has not panned out in Phoenix, and I don't think it's going to look any better now in Memphis. Uh, goes from one bad team to another. Doesn't have veteran talent to play off. I just don't think he has one core strength that translates uh, in terms of uh, he's not a good enough shooter. He's not enough good enough decision maker. He's been in the news off the floor way too much. I'm not sure how focused and concentrated he is, uh, old for his age, and uh, it just hasn't looked right. Very inefficient player, uh, doesn't play off the ball well, and so I think he's going to struggle in Memphis just as he did in uh, in Phoenix. I think he's going to quickly become a free agent. A sad story, I think, for Josh Jackson, who clearly had so much promise, so much talent coming out of Kansas. How about Stanley Johnson? Now with the Toronto Raptors, um, started in Detroit, went to New Orleans for a quick cup of coffee. Now he is with Toronto, where I actually think he has a chance to revive his career. This is going to be his last opportunity. Masai Ujiri clearly has some type of belief in him. And I think he's got a good opportunity to play to his strengths as a backup small forward behind OG Ananobi. He still has that strong body. He's just got to make shots a little bit more consistently. He'll never be a passer. Um, his value will be in the form of shot making and toughness. And I think this is his best chance and honestly his last chance uh, at, uh, at sticking and making some type of impact at the NBA level. Frank Kaminsky now with the Phoenix Suns after being a non-factor in Charlotte. Um, I think they'll find use for him in Phoenix. There's a need for a power forward who could stretch the floor next to Aiden and Aaron Baines. But I don't think he's a guy who could play more than 15 minutes a game. I mean, he is... Uh, that's pretty much it. Three-point shooting. If his three-ball is not falling, take him out. Uh, he actually became more efficient this past year when they reduced his role from 21 minutes a game to 16 minutes a game, something you don't usually see in a third-year player. Um, but uh, there is, there will be use for him um, depending on the night for his ability to stretch the floor. But again, he's nothing more than a ninth guy, uh, third guy off the bench type of player. Jabari Parker with the Atlanta Hawks, I think he falls out of favor. I, I think the end is near for Jabari Parker. Um, and, and Atlanta's a good fit, but they're going to want to play Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter uh, and Bembry and, uh, and John Collins at the four. I, I don't see where there's room for Parker. Maybe maybe he is a good influence in the locker room, although he may not even, he may be a negative influence based on some of those comments he made last year about defense being overrated or whatever it was. But uh, Parker's stock has been pointing down every season uh, this year. Now he's on a two-year, $13 million deal, um, and I'm guessing that uh, he won't last in Atlanta. Uh, I, I just don't see his game translate. He's a mid-range guy who can't stretch the floor and just isn't good enough at what he does and, and clearly a liability on defense. Uh, next up, Alfred Payton in New York. Um, I, I think we know who Alfred Payton is. I, I think the Knicks actually made a, a, an interesting move getting him. I think he brings some value uh, to that team who needed a veteran passer to help the younger guys on that team. And that's what Peyton did. He averaged seven and a half assists per game last year. 
He can set the table. He'll never be a high-level scorer because he doesn't have that jump shot or one-on-one shot-creating ability. Uh, I think he uses this year to boost his value as a high-end backup for a playoff team. That's my prediction, is that he lasts one year. Uh, the Knicks don't bring him back. I think his second year is partially guaranteed. And a, a, a playoff team winds up seeing a very good backup point guard, uh, and that's where I think he ends up using this year to establish his stock as a high-end backup. Torian Prince, now at Brooklyn. Wilson Chandler suspended the first 25 games for PEDs, and we know Kevin Durant's out. And Rodeo and Karuks um, has some trouble uh, with the law. It'll be interesting to see what Torian Prince's role is. I think it's going to be bigger than expected. I think they're going to need him. And I think he was a little bit underappreciated in Atlanta. I know he's got some issues defensively, but Prince has been a consistent three-point shooter um, since arriving in Atlanta, uh, making around two threes per game. And uh, I think that shot-making is going to come in handy. I think Brooklyn's going to need that shot-making from the three and four spots. I think he can play both, a little bit interchangeable, and uh, you know a decent complementary score. So I think um, Prince, who uh, is going to end up being on the Nets playoff team, um, I think we start to hear his name a little bit more now that he's in Brooklyn. Julius Randle and the, the Knicks. Uh, three years, $60 million. I think Randle is going to have a monster statistical season. I don't know if it's going to translate to, to him becoming a star in people's eyes, but uh, I mean, last year he averaged, what, 21, almost nine boards, shot over 50% from the floor, improves his three ball. The offense is certainly going to run through Randall in New York. Uh, first off, he's their most high, their highest paid player, so I think they have good reason to feed him the ball and kind of show their fans that, hey, we didn't get one of the big name stars, but we promise you Randall can be a star, and I think they're going to try and feed him the ball and, and try and uh, make people believe that he is the star type of player. But uh, he's been working out hard in New York. Um, and I think, again, he's going to have a, a... He should match last year's numbers of 21 and 9 um, at, at the very least. And I think um, he's going to put a lot more focus on improving his three-point shooting to make over one per game this year. And I think he's a guy who could average 23 and close to 10 a game, assuming the minutes and touches are there, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be. Um, who else do we got that's moved teams? Dario Saric. Phoenix Suns, I think it's going to be the same shots we've seen um, in Philly and Minnesota, uh, who gives you a little bit of everything, but not too much of one thing. Uh, a versatile offensive player, um, I guess his shot making will be the most valuable to that Suns team, his veteran, um, I wouldn't say leadership, but just uh, a guy who's played some big games and, and played for now four years or so um, and big minutes. So, yeah, I think he's going to have, hold value to Phoenix but still, just a, another role player who can be frustrating with his decision-making at times, um, but valued again for his shot-making and just general versatility as a guy who can put the ball down. I think T.J. Warren, we're going to hear a lot more about T.J. Warren than we have in the past while he's kind of uh, faded away in Phoenix despite producing, um, which has been kind of been viewed as empty production. I think that production will, will look a little bit more impactful now that he's with the Pacers filling in for Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, Warren just knows how to get buckets, and um, after ha- having so much criticism about not being a shooter, last year he made nearly two threes a game. He's got to stay on the floor, of course, but if he could build on last year's 1.8 threes per game, um, and, and we know his two-point scoring, which is, dates back to North Carolina State, he's just a bucket getter. Knows how to get him, does it in an orthodox way, but now with this jump shot that extends out to the arc, uh, I think he's got the chance to be a, a very... Um, impactful score for this Indiana team who was good even without Oladipo. But now you throw Oladipo back in the mix. You add Malcolm Brogdon. No reason why the Pacers can't be back in the playoffs and, and Warren should be able to keep them relevant 
They've always been good defensively. When they lose Bogdanovich, they need another source of scoring firepower. And uh, I guess that's why they went after TJ Warren. That'll do it for this week um, of the lottery. Uh, tough to say what will, will come next week. I guess we'll see what happens with the World Cup. Um, we're in play it by year mentality um, as we inch closer to college basketball, which I cannot wait for. Um, hit me up on Twitter, NBA Draft Loss. Uh, feel free to reach out to me any questions, any recommendations. Thanks again for listening and have a good weekend. Talk soon.